0: Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Citico, and this time we're talking about restaurants. First of what we hope will be a regular look at the thriving F&B scene in Manchester and Salford. I'm joined by Tom Hetherington founder of the Northern Restaurant and Bar Show, the Northern Hospitality Awards, and many others, top networker, and the man who introduced the city to the Hank Scorpio jeans and suit jacket look, which he's wearing today, in fact. <laughs> I was so pleased after <laughs> writing that script. Alongside is Simon Binns, what's on editor of the Manchester Evening News, once of Children's BBC, Cranes, and every other publication that has ever existed in this city.
1: Where would they be without me?
0: Two things I promise we're not going to mention. Why hasn't Manchester got a Michelin star? No that, mm-hmm. chaps. And anything about Brexit. Okay. Unless we have to. Good. Ground rules. Good. Good. So, first up for the table, let's do a general intro. How's the F&B scene doing in Manchester? What's working and what's not?
1: Simon? I think, to the outside observer, the word thriving is used, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's increased, it's expanded. It's it's bigger than it was, undeniably so. I used the word thriving in my intro. Yeah, in is, it, is, is bigger better, though, I think is the question people are starting to ask now. I mean... When something expands, choice expands and that's fine. I think what you've seen in Manchester actually is the growth of the middle of the sector. So the the casual dining, the more mass market, mass offering, which largely is pretty average. So when you say Manchester's dining scene has expanded, it has. But to my mind, it's become a hell of a lot more average in large parts of it. So whilst I think certainly it's got more soft than it did five years ago. I think you've got to look a bit more carefully for the quality. It's there, it's definitely there, and there's more of it. But I think the rate of growth at the quality end of the market is probably slightly slower than that middle casual dining. Big hit for families, for shopping centres, for quick in, quick out, grab a bite. That's huge now office worker, fodder.
0: Quality, I we're not necessarily meaning expensive either. No,
1: are. I don't think it has to be expensive. And then you look at someone like Bundabust, for example, who's come in, and I'm a, a you know, big fan of that place. It, it, you can order the entire menu for 66 quid at Bundabust.
0: Depending how much beer you drink. <laughs> <Depending> on, yeah, <laughs> then you can match it with, with beer
1: for 66 quid. And it's brilliant. It came from Leeds, good indie. Are we producing enough of that domestically now or has that slowed down? I think if you look at the independent sector in Manchester, it's very, very good. But even they're getting to a point now where they're getting bigger. They're thinking about are we a chain, are we a UK business, are we gonna sell out and sell up? And that's that's their right to do that and that's fine. But where does it where does it leave that independent sector which kind of drove that growth, I suppose, that attracted the big brands into Manchester? I think that's where we're up to. We're reaching a point now where we're a bit of a crossroads actually. Where
2: do we where do we go now? You know, cool. you well,
0: that's on? a good topic for like a podcast or something. Isn't it,
2: just? Um Tom. <laughs> I I would um Echo a lot of what Simon um, has said. We we are bigger. Bigger isn't always better, but I would argue that in any given category, whatever your penchant might be, whether it's uh, whether it's ethnic cuisine, whether it's Indian food, whether it's budget, casual dining, fine dining, whatever. I don't think anyone could argue that there is a worse choice or less choice than there was three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Uh, I would suggest that on every footing, Manchester's restaurant scene is probably stronger, broader, deeper, more dynamic and more vibrant than it's ever been, which is good. That's, that's not the be-all and an end-all, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't rest on that, but we have to look back at um, how far we've come. And I think the other interesting thing, taking the point on indies. We did a piece of research recently with CGA Peach where we looked at the number of independent restaurants within cities up and down the UK. The ones that had the highest percentage of Indies, of the big cities, were Newcastle and Leeds, and Manchester was quite far down the list on that. But in absolute terms, the absolute number of Indies, we were out in front. No no other city got anywhere near us, not Glasgow, not Edinburgh, not Bristol, not Birmingham. So there is a really strong indie scene in the city and i think one of the most interesting things is as pricing has pushed a lot of the true indies in inverted commas out of the city center core the way that the suburbs are coming alive and that is one of manchester's strong suits at the minute so
0: we've got elements that are working really really well what are the real standouts for you guys
1: i think some of the some of the smaller operations have really covered themselves in glory and that's probably because of the uh, ability to be agile and a bit more flexible towards your market and go back to bundo bust and places like umizushi behind victoria station which is rudy's rudy's yeah rudy's i suppose not new anymore being around two three years um umizushi being around a lot longer but actually starting to attract attention of people outside the city because they're they're interesting actually they kind of offer something that you you can't get anywhere else in the city and i think that's the key isn't it it's like okay rudy's they just do pizza but that's their thing, and they work really hard at it, and they do great pizza, and they've been lauded across the UK for being brilliant. And that's great, and I' crossed an Ultraman market. And Tom's right about the suburban scene. You've got Ultraman market generating huge amounts of revenue out there, and you've got Hispy and Didsbury who are bringing a version of fine dining to a suburb, and that's, that's how it should be. And actually, the more interesting stuff is to be found in the suburbs, I think.
2: Now. I, th- I think if you did... um you know, everyone will have a slightly different opinion, but if you did a top 10 of the best restaurants in Manchester, or even a top 20, you'd probably find that half of them are outside the city yeah. centre. Mm-hmm. Everyone does have their own choice, but you could argue Levanta and Barachuri would be in there, yeah. Hispe, the Sugo down in Altrincham. Look at what Sam uh, Buckley's doing in Stockport, with where the light gets in, which gets is completely, dishes,
1: yeah. it goes against any business model, or any advice you would get from a bank manager. Is I want to open a fine dining restaurant where I don't tell people what they get, I'm going to charge them 70 quid for it, and it's going to be in a really run-down part stop, park. then you probably won't be able to find it immediately. It's fantastic. And they're doing really daring things, interesting things, and the things that they probably wouldn't be able to do in a city centre because they just wouldn't be able to yeah, afford to that. find that kind of space. So, and, it's, and it's busy every, every night of the week. Hmm? which I would, is. Um...
0: I would love to have seen the marketing plan that he, he did for that originally. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to
1: get people
2: here... How? Well, I when think, we wrote I about know. it
1: first time, I kind of Lucy and my team wrote about it. <laughs> first thing I said to her was, give it six months. Sure. Um, I, it'll, it'll
2: be the first of a the chain. They'll have two hundred yeah, of those. They will. Down, we'll down the exactly. A millionaire by Christmas, coffee and it uh, will still be sat <laughs> no, what it, It's brilliant. I went for dinner there on a Wednesday night, and every every seat in the house was full. No, it's not a big restaurant, but whatever your your model, if you can be busy on a Wednesday night in Stockport outside the city centre, then you are doing pretty well. And I
1: think it shows. sorry, I think it shows that ambition is there. From the operator, but actually, the, the ambition is there from the dining public of, of Greater Manchester to go to a thing that yeah. wants to be different, wants to offer quality baratura. Ramsbottom is brilliant. It's about the size of this studio, which is not much bigger than a bus stop. They are expanding it, though. and they, they they pack so much into it. It's so exciting and so interesting. I will happily, I would spend forty five minutes driving to Ramsbottom to go there than I would. Coming as the city centre, sometimes. Mm. I and,
2: think. and again, not that not that benchmarking ourselves against other cities is always the most important thing, but I don't think there is another city that has suburbs with the restaurant scene that we do. And I think we're getting less hung up on the idea that to eat out we have to all commute, spoken hub transport system into the city centre. People are quite happy about the idea of going to Ramsbottom or to Disbury or to Altringham, um for a night out, and that you know that's fantastic. That's more of a big city attitude to have. No one in London complains that they can't set their little independent restaurant up in Mayfair. You know they go and do it out in Shoreditch, and then if they can't afford Shoreditch, they'll go to Haggerston or Bethnal Green Mayfair's or probably Dalston. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. It. Yeah. But you know what I mean. You know, gentrification—it's it, not a reason for everyone to throw their hands up and go, oh, "Well, we can't compete anymore." It just—it just pushes the creativity there's, around. There's, I guess there's two aspects to that, isn't
0: there? Because Manchester's always been very good. Back to the days of Juniper, obviously Northcote. Actually, the suburbs have always been where the real high end stuff has been, without mentioning the M word. Um, so, and Didsbury has always had well, certainly the last thirty odd years has had a very good dining as well. What's really yeah, interesting is when in we start to talk about some of the, the suburbs, when we talk about expansion into Ancoats and expansion into Salford and some of the other areas where actually you wouldn't ever see anything and you nec- and you wouldn't necessarily see uh, a high spending populace that you would understand
2: could support think, those restaurants. I think there's a next changing. generation of restaurant suburbs coming through places like uh, Monton which some of us uh, yep. know well. Ermston, mm-hmm. uh, Presswich, and Whitefield are finally starting to catch on a little bit as well. David Gale's opening Whitefield Salita, all the shapes, have opened in up. Presswich, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's good and it's it's interesting to see talent like Simon, uh, Sam Buckley down in Stockport and like David up in um, Whitefield who look at the city center and go I don't think we need to do it. It's just
1: an ego thing. Yeah, I think there's something very uh, endearing actually about that level of confidence, where they'll go, "Well, do you know what? I'm going to open a restaurant a hundred yards from house, but it's going to be a great restaurant, and you will want to come to it." And I think if you can maintain, it's maintaining the level, isn't it? It's maintaining a level of quality. It's maintaining the ambition and having that vision of where you want it to go. Yeah. Actually, I think the places that that do worse suburb or city centre are the the places that kind of drift along fairly listlessly and you don't really know what they're all about and um, you kind of you you can't get excited about them I think people want to be excited don't they when they they eat out now and uh, you know the, the spend is there but you are committing yourself to a couple of hundred quid on and out if you've got some some restaurants even in the suburbs so you want to be excited i think
2: i met a guy called um dan hope who at the minute has got um a pop-up uh artisan chicken concept uh which is called firebird and hope mm. he's a really really interesting guy great little operator he's looking at doing a bricks and mortar site but he he's looking at his first restaurant and he used um a quote which is by danny mayer who's um kind of one of the world class new york restaurateurs who does Gramercy tavern and union park cafe he said your first restaurant should never be more than five minutes from your house Because if you're really going to make it stick, if you're really going to live and breathe it when you've got kids or family commitments or whatever, you've got to be able to get there in five minutes and get back again. And he had taken that on board. So he was looking at a site close to where he lived. And I thought that is another argument for the suburbs. Mm. You know, just pick somewhere in a neighbourhood that you know inside out and back to front. that You can be there every hour if, God forbid, you need to. It's a really sensible approach to take for a first restaurant. Mm.
0: And if you can't afford too much marketing, then just telling everybody on your doorstep about this new yeah, restaurant that's open is for all you've,
2: you've
1: got to have the money to make a lot of noise in the city centre now, I think, and then those who haven't are the ones who've closed. Yeah. So, what do we need more of? <laughs> what do we need more of? I think at the higher end we could do better, I think. Uh, concept, no. I, I think just... Tom's talking about Firebird Hope just do chicken. They do it really well. Rudy's, they just do pizza. They do it really well. Umazushi, just do Japanese and sushi. They do it really well. It's that. Can we just have more of people who do something really, really well? Don't want a menu with a thousand things on it. A menu with two things on it that are done brilliantly is fine for me. That, is, so I can work the, with
0: that. Is that a very male problem? Because I've, I've been to a few places in the center recently where they go, you can choose from this, and then you choose from that, and then you choose from that, and I'm standing there going, no good at all. To to <laughs> I th- I think
2: there's a lot to be said from a, a business point of view. The, the, the mono menu, the single yeah. item yeah. menu, makes a lot of sense. There's mm. little wastage. It requires less skill in the kitchen. Doesn't mean the food product is any worse. It just means you don't need as much kind of variety of craft skills to put the food mm. together. It makes perfect sense really. And you know, you go to London now and there will be people Every single food group that you can think of, there will be a restaurant dedicated um, to that. And I, I think the first effort in Manchester, I don't know whether either of you remember the short lived mash restaurant. I do indeed. First in out of Manchester. Hugo Mash. mash you know, arguably a mash themed restaurant was ahead of its time. It was quite the place. should have another crack at that. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for it makes sense for the customer. They know exactly what they're getting and they get great quality because it's specialising. makes sense for the operator because the bills are easier to manage. Yeah,
1: I'd like to see places that tie food and drink together a bit better. I think we have a lot of places where we have a lot of bars, we have a lot of restaurants. Mm-hmm. I've been to places in Europe recently, very recently actually. I went to Split and went to a couple of great places where it's it's a wine bar with food or it's a restaurant with wine and the two are, are as important actually and are served together and <laughs> I give in joint billing and I think the drink side of it, if we, want to, if we want to grow up a little bit about the way we behave towards drink, we need to start that in restaurants. And so I went to a place in Split called Paradox, which is a cheese and wine bar, which I would, I would move brick by brick to Manchester by ferry on my own if it was humanly possible. Where you go in, they've got, I don't know, a wine menu with about 50 things on it but you are kind of advised of the six that go best with the things they this. It's just cheese, it's just meat. Uh, there's a bit of tapenade if you want that. There's a bit of bread. And then it's the wine. And you kind of let the simplicity of all the things show off a bit. And I was in there for like three, four hours. The chap owns this Man United fan, obviously, because he's Croatian. Uh, <laughs> Hot and, bed of red. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was just a really cool little place. Like Salu, I suppose. which a great wine bar in Manchester. It's a bit more grown up. There's a bit more around education about it. They're, they curate it. I hate that word. They curate it a bit more. Um, I think a bit more of that would be nice.
0: I think the first curated restaurant I ever went to was the, the Immortal Garlic and Shots in Soho. Do you remember Garlic and Shots? Which is basically went. a biker bar that would serve food that was full of garlic and then serve shots that were full of garlic. I and concept. it, it just it became that sort of scuzzy place to go in Soho before you went to Ronnie Scott's or wherever else it was. Yeah. Funnily enough, not he no, wanted to be near all. you the next day. You're <laughs> You're not, yes. not a date <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> no yeah. breakfast menu. Yeah, Absolutely. it's never going to be the first dates one with Fred though in
2: front of the house, <laughs> no, is it, no, really? No. Let's be honest. I, I think we still... Um, not saying this is something I'm madly dying for, but looking at it from an operator's point of view, something that's underserved. I still don't think we have enough food pubs. I think you've got a city of two and a half million people, a conurbation of two and a half million people, um, pulling in tourists from all over the world, Eating in pubs is something English people like doing. Mm. It's what we're culturally happy with. It's why there's a bistro in every small village and town in France. It's our vernacular that we're comfortable with for eating. It's something London does very well. London does very well. The gastro When when tourists Mm. come over here, yes, they love the fact that you can have authentic Thai or pizza or whatever. To be honest, if they've travelled all the way to England, they probably want to sit in a pub and have really good pub food and a proper pint. And, you know, we can name probably five or six pubs that you can eat good food in in the city centre, but for the size of the city centre and the size of the dining scene... Mm. I just don't think that's enough. In London, there's a decent food pub on every other corner, and I think we're missing a trick.
1: Yeah, and Tom and I sit on the judging panel of the Manchester Food and Drink Festival Awards mm-hmm. uh, for our sins. And it's, it's the category we struggle with most every year, isn't it? It actually? ends up being pub. very out of town. Yeah, it does. It does. And we've we, we had this conversation before about if you could walk around town. And I just remember when I used to live in London and you'd walk around Chalk Farm and Kentish Town and, and that kind of area, you would walk past 12 fantastic food pubs within a 100 metre stretch. You can't walk past three in Manchester City, Centre. You know, I
2: do think part of the problem, maybe, is the lack of building stock. Because, I, I mean, I notice it in London, but London's London, it's lower into itself. I notice it when I go to Liverpool, that there's a lot of very grand, very ornate, big-windowed corner pubs. Because that's the era that they were built in and the style that they were built in, that kind of grand Edwardian uh, boozing palace. And in Manchester, a lot of the best pubs tend to be terrace pubs, back street pubs, quite small, tricky to get a kitchen in, no outside area, no natural light. Maybe the stockage doesn't lend itself to turning into food pubs in the same way.
1: Maybe, and I'd, I'd still quite like to see more just old-fashioned boozers as well, I think. I don't it, want food to die no. out. Yeah, food on no. I do, I do think we need to... Um, you know, we've reinvented the pub, haven't we, in this country, back to a version of the pub. But I think the traditional drinking pub I don't know. I kind of struggle a bit. Right? I, 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 plotted, I plotted a pub crawl from Ancoats to Castlefield, yeah, which had about 15 good examples, but they were very diverse in terms of what they look like. So places like Café Beermoth is a pub to yeah. all intents and purposes. It serves real ale. It doesn't look like a pub. It doesn't feel like it a pub. It behaves like a pub. The Marble there. Arch looks and feels like a pub. They're, yeah. they're essentially the same thing, catering to the same crowd, serving the same kind of stuff. And I think maybe it's, maybe it's a heritage thing. The, the look and and the feel some, of
0: some of them the older pubs you could afford to drink most of the night in with some mm. of the newer
2: ones i would say considerably less so this the five pound true. artisanal pint i, I, I don't you only afford to drink responsibly these days <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to uh, spoil this for myself so i almost hope no one listens to uh, this podcast but the the pub that <laughs> i go to a, if, <laughs> if i want if i want a pint of beer and maybe maybe a packet of crisps i go to the circus tavern on mm. portland street right. and it it doesn 't do food it couldn 't do food if the barmaid likes you, you get a little bowl of crisps on your table, which is you know uh, which shows you being accepted it 's a tiny room front and back. You cannot go in there without people talking to you and The nice thing is that it 's one of those true pubs that just attracts the flotsam and jetsam of a city. You get business people popping through, you get regulars, you get pre-football crowd, you get the odd tourists because it claims to have the smallest bar in Europe. It's a complete social, cultural melting pot. And like I say, you can go in on your own, which is lovely, but you always end up having a conversation and it's always fascinating. Mm. Um, And I think in this echo chamber world of which we live, of social media, it would be a great loss to everybody if we stop going to pubs, because I think that is now the only place that you really hear interested dissenting voices and have conversations which aren't everyone agreeing with you and shouting yeah, 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 whether it's about you know whatever your political or social view is. And I just love it. I think pubs have always been there and they are the glue, the social glue that holds the UK together. And we should be very careful about turning them all into food pubs or Temple of Craft Ale or whatever. I love all of those things, mm. but I don't want to lose a pub where you just go and have a pint and a chat. Yeah. Uh,
0: there was a report out this morning, yesterday morning, about... 10,000, 11,000 pubs have closed in the last 10 years because of probably because of the smoking ban. That seems to be where it is. Well, I think what's really interesting on the flip side, and we're getting a a little bit away from the original topic, but what's interesting is the number of times you're now seeing communities buying pubs and actually seeing them as as focal. That's not going to happen in a a city centre so much because you've got a transient population. But, you know, in lots of areas, you are seeing your local community buy. Right. Uh, What's been the most interesting opening... In the the past few months, Tom.
2: Interesting is an interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't
0: mean the best necessarily, but the thing that's actually most excited you, most interested you.
2: A couple of months is quite a tight timescale. I'm going to go a little bit outside. Okay, so far, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit outside that. Genuinely, hand on heart, the place that's um, really excited me the most is the Rabbit in the Moon, and I love it, and I love it, I love it for lots of different reasons. Really, I love. I love the ambition of it. I love the technical brilliance of some of the food. I'm not saying I go there and love every dish, but that's not the sort of meal you go into that sort of restaurant for. You're there to have kind of challenged and interesting food that that gives you a new experience. But I think what I love about it is that when I sit in Rabbit in the Moon and I look around the aesthetic and you listen to the soundtrack and you look at the food on the plates and everything else, it holds together as a restaurant experience that I don't think there's anywhere else in London like it. There's certainly nowhere else in Manchester like it I don't know everywhere in the UK, but I don't know anywhere else in the country that's doing something similar. And it's quite nice when you eat out a lot, which, woe is me, it's part of the job, I eat out a lot. You see the same themes, the same trends, the same ingredients, the same techniques, the same menu writing appearing at place after place after place. And when I sit in Rabbit in the Moon... There's no reference points, and it kind of makes you like a a giggly little kid because you feel like you're eating out for the first time all over again. And I find it an immensely refreshing experience. It seems to be doing well, and I'm delighted that Manchester can sustain a place like that because if I was a food tourist coming to Manchester, I'd want to go there because it's going to allow me to eat something that I probably haven't eaten in my hometown or city and having run
0: the previous
2: successful <laughs> restaurant
0: in that venue, very impressed with what they've done with it. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it in January, yes, when it we is are. incredibly cold. have got it in the Good food, th- food Guide, didn't you, Vaughan? Let's not, you know, let's not make light of it. That's true. Uh, but part of that was we actually managed to do something with that decor, and, uh, but mm. it still didn't get past some of the building restrictions, which are it's incredibly hot in the summer, you can grow tomatoes, as indeed we proved with one of the Urbis <laughs> exhibitions, uh, <laughs> and it's incredibly cold in the winter. I think the thing... When I mean, we ate Rabbit in the minute a couple of months back, yeah. and I think compared to similar levels of restaurants doing similarly innovative things, I think the thing that, that certainly pleased me immensely was how friendly and lovely the staff were. Yeah. And actually, staffing is a big issue in Manchester anyway. At those sort yeah. of restaurants, it becomes very, very easy for the staff to be completely, forgive the phrase, up themselves, um, feeling that the customer is, should be very, very grateful to be there. And that wasn't the impression that we got at all. It was yeah. actually a really nice, friendly, very quite mank. Yeah. um staff. There.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's challenging stuff and it, it can be a divisive dining experience and, and it's absolutely set up to be so. So I'm not saying it's somewhere everyone would love, but I love it. And I think it's doing something brilliant and new for the city. And that's a, that's a great thing. Rabbit in the meantime?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for all O'Hare's foibles, and he's from the same part of the world as me, so I'm kind of duty bound to support him. Um, I, th- I think he's doing something genuinely different, something genuinely interesting. He, he kind of doesn't have a rule book, and I, I like that. I think that's good. For me, uh, I, I had to think long and hard about this question when it, when it was kind of first raised. For me, interesting, I, I think of places like, I mean, Bundabust, I love, as you may have picked up already, because it's simple, uh, but it's great. But I think of places like Grub. I think of the 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 kind of the street food and the the food scene that's grown out of the burgeoning independent brewery scene. To me, that's really interesting to see where it goes. Actually, to take half a dozen breweries or a a bakery like Pollen, for example, under Piccadilly Station, which is not doing anything uh, different, it's not doing anything particularly um, rabbit in the moon levels with with what it does, but it's just brilliant and it's just captured the imagination of the entire city to such a degree where you have to queue for more than an hour on a Sunday morning to get a croissant now they're obviously doing something right it's like the almost famous thing in it but part product part genius marketing i think by not marketing themselves too hard they're marketing themselves people very very enjoy, well.
0: Enjoy the queue as well people though. want to be part of a secret
1: yeah. club of course they do but I, I love what they're doing i think uh grub and now they're moving into mayfield depot is really really interesting because it's kind of it's grown up stuff now for the next three years it's it's right okay this is your expansion plan Mapped out, and it's great for the traders who go with them. They've got a roster of twenty twenty five street food traders who can now see a path to growth. I suppose from just having to trot around the country in vans and pop up locations, have got somewhere a bit more semi permanent they can they can kind of plan for. I think Hispy and Disbury is wonderful. Uh, I think I don't know. I speak to Gary O'Shea often. His margins on that place are so tight because it's such good value. He's going to have to start eventually trying to make some money out of that site. And I wouldn't mind paying an extra two quid a dish. So if you want to do it, Gary, it's fine by me. But I think um, Hispy is, is, again, it comes back to simplicity for me. Tom loves the innovation of Rabbit and the Moon. I kind of go the other way. I just, I, I love simplicity done really, really well. And I like what Adam Reed's done with the French he's kind of taken it and put his own stamp on it and uh, it's as far away from Simon Rogan's French as you could possibly get despite being in the same room but the food there he's knocking out is absolutely fantastic I love it, it's a good value lunch now as well
0: and to take it to the ultimate simplicity I think my favourite opening has been Five Guys (laughs) <laughs> uh, somewhere, uh, five my, my Thursday's lunchtime I admit 13 quid for a burger and chips is, is tipping it for what is basically a fast food it's, it's occasion dining <laughs> again, is. It, it almost but again birthdays. I actually think what they've done and also with what is actually has been quite a difficult site bizarrely in the yeah. Arndale nothing's yeah. ever quite worked there now that works there really well obviously Arndale broadly is, is moving towards F&B as well mm. but I think that's been um, a great opening and it's been nice to actually have a very good chain burger restaurant It's a
1: good example of a big chain that knows what it is and is fairly unashamed about it and if you look at what they've done in the Trafford Centre they've expanded their footprint fairly rapidly and and, and to, to quite a large degree yeah, fair they, uh, they, but I think one, really of, one of
0: their advantages is they haven't been taken over by a VC have they so um, they haven't had that money that then flows in that goes this is the brand as we understand it make sure you're making a margin of about 1-1.5% one, one on every single one and then we'll sell it on in 2-3 years And you can spot Which the has happened to a few other brands. You can <laughs> spot
1: the restaurants that do that and uh, you know it's <laughs> just stuff's like oh this cheese is different they didn't used to use this, <laughs> this cheese oh this portion <laughs> size was, is a bit smaller than the beer is be. warm all of a sudden exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: what are you looking forward to most in the next year? What we heard
2: rumours of. Well, there's a difference between what we've heard rumours <laughs> of, if we all pulled uh, rumours, and what we can actually say live on a, on a podcast. Um, there's all sorts of interesting people who are looking at opening either Manchester-based, coming into the city from elsewhere in the north, or moving up from London. All of which are quite exciting. Probably the, the one, I, I, I don't think they'll officially confirm it, but we all know it's kind of happening, is altering the market, moving to Mackie Mayor which is is going to be pretty sensational, I think. Um, Altering the market is an incredible operation. Uh, What Nick and Jenny have done down there is is quite um, unprecedented. They've created one of the best markets in the UK, bar none. And I think if they can work their magic again in that kind of quite atmospheric old space it will be a huge boon to the city centre because we we still have a really mixed bag where food retail is concerned in the city centre despite a huge and affluent population who obviously like spending money on good food. So that should correct it a little bit. And I think it's not... It's not an end in itself, it, it will kickstart an entire regeneration of that top end of the northern quarter heading across into new, um, new Cross which is a big master plan for the development of New Cross and I'm hoping that it will uh, pollinate, not to Nick Pollan's marketing line, lots of other little food indies and food operators. In that area, and that will become the place, the borough market, where people in the city centre or tourists in the city go with their bags on a Saturday morning and get their shopping for the week. That's what I'd like to see happen.
0: And another six thousand, seven thousand people who'll be living in that area of the city over the next couple of years. It's not going to harm the business. It's not going to
2: harm it? the business. I read a I read a, a report recently, and it's out of date now. It went up to two thousand and seven, but it said twenty thousand people have moved into the city centre. Most of those are graduates. Most of those are moving into well paid jobs. If those people average eating out three times a week, and young people who know kids and good jobs who move to the city centre tend to eat out a lot, that's an extra 60,000 meals a week being served. And that was by 2007, you that, know, it's crazy.
0: That's one of the big issues we've actually got going forward is um, people talk about there's so much F&B, there's so many restaurants opening, but when we look at 20,000, 25,000 people living in the city in the next 15 years, an extra, and probably that's the low side, um, we probably haven't got enough space. Mm. And it's one of the things that has benefited plainly the Corn Exchange. I think they've done a very good job mm. in, in terms of, of Eva turning that around and getting in a really nice mix of yeah. very chain restaurants and chain Indies and pure Indies. Mm. But actually, it's worked. And one of the reasons it's worked is not just because of the branding, but because there's enough people in the city to now, to now fill that
1: out. I think people know what it is now as well, which, which obviously helps they've, they've marketed themselves well. And every time I've been into the Corn Exchange been very very busy not every single place is full all the time but that's you know it's a numbers game for those operators and they seem to work it reasonably well I think so what are you looking forward to I, it, it's kind of related to, to, to the point you've just been making I suppose I'm, I'm really interested at uh, O'Granada Studios and the Ivy Brasserie coming into Spinning Fields is an interesting one Looking forward to, or curious about, it, more curious about. It, I think it's, Just there, to it's see their it,
2: diffusion brand, though. It's it not is, the Ivy. It is. It's their yeah, roll it, because they're opening so, one in Leeds as well. Even so,
1: it's, it's a very recognisable London brand that will serve a very uh, recognisable London product in a very recognizable London way. But is that London. not going in spinning fields? It is, but it's close enough to our studios that I can weave it in. <laughs> I think I'll that, ha- how you tie a story together. To I think, <laughs> think, <I> think Spinningfields <laughs> is interesting, and in what they're doing there with the D and D restaurant up in the sky on one Spinningfields, uh, which yeah. is 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 a headline grabber. Mike does yeah. like a skyline restaurant. Mike likes a skyline restaurant, and I'm sure the menu will reflect the cost of development.
2: You would imagine, and apparently they're looking for a named chef for that as well. Of it's it's not think just it. going to be an under the radar D and D restaurant. Think, yeah. They want a, a name. Attached it's fanfare. To it.
1: It's all about fanfare, and and, and it, it's always interesting to see how Manchester reacts to. An operator who comes in and is all about the fanfare, you've got to sustain it, you've got to commit to it, you've got to understand the market, some London operators have come, haven't done that and they've made little sops to the fact they're in Manchester but they haven't really done more beyond that, burger and lobster, I'm talking about you specifically Uh what I'm looking forward to yeah, just to kind of see how, how those big schemes around the edge of the city centre use food and drink to regenerate mm. and to, to kind of to tie in what they're doing I was in London recently and went down to the the big King's Cross development um, around the Eurostar Terminal all that kind of stuff where they've got Dishoom who I think will come to Manchester and I'm interested to see where they go they're using food and drink in a really interesting way to regenerate that part of what was a fairly horrendous part of, of central London you've got the Google office and then you go past it and you've got Dishoom St Martin's yeah, called, looks beautiful and you've got a lot of operators who've gone in there early and, they, and they're full they're busy but you know London's London and I get that
0: those, those of us who lived in squats in King's Cross at sixteen seventeen would argue with the fact that it was a horrible part of city. The, the Flying <laughs> Scotsman was not a great place to go Scotland drinking. We all went you drinking there, but it's not life goals. not was the goals. only place that you could stay overnight. Yeah, <laughs> one, exactly. of, um,
2: one of the operators who took an early fire on that was the guys behind uh, the Zeta, who mm. went in with the grain store. Who were coming to uh, Manchester. And they are indeed coming to Manchester. They're opening um, in the London Road fire station, You know, which is a, a stunning building and has been a blot in the landscape for too long to see it reactivated. Will be, will be wonderful. And I think actually, you know, we've seen whole areas of the city appear from when we were all growing up, when the city centre was a very small circle and, and it stopped and beyond was dereliction. We've seen the way Castlefield and First Street and Northern Coil Street into Ancoats and Salford Chapel Street corridor have all pushed out. And at the minute the missing bite in the apple is Round Piccadilly, It's the mm. classic, the back of train stations is always horrible, whether you're in London or Amsterdam or Manchester. But now with London Road Fire Station, the redevelopment of that beautiful old Umis site, uh, you've got Campus going in on the on the old Manchester Met, and then of course Mayfield. Mm. Um, I've been doing a bit of work with the developers to get people like Grub in there, and the potential on that. So what, sixteen acre site is massive that over the next five to ten years, that is going to tip the entire balance of the city centre in terms of where people walk, where people go, where they live, work and eat. And that again is going to be a fascinating dynamic to see unfold.
1: And Mr. O'Hare's got a few more restaurants to come. Uh he so does. we're always
2: interested to see
1: what he does. But stock the old stock exchange and what he does there with Gorgeous building. one, two, three, ten restaurants whatever yeah. he decides this week. Um yeah, interesting times I think. Um, but again, let's not forget the suburbs there'll be there'll be stuff that pops up that we would we don't even know about now. It'll catch our attention, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to see what happens in Stockport, Bury, Didsbury, etc.
2: I'd like something to happen, please, God, anything in Tameside, because <laughs> that's the nearest part of Manchester to where I live, and it and it is resolutely refusing to in any way become foodie or gentrified. Too so, early. Yeah, please, someone open something there. All right, finally.
0: Um, we've had a whole kickback about restaurants serving things on slabs of wood uh famously because i went on a twitter tantrum about it a restaurant in yorkshire that served their bread in a flat cap yeah, them, um, that was names. possibly the single most appalling thing that i've ever seen no it was a second hand cap how do they maintain the cleanliness of the that was caps the conversation that, that we then yeah. had with them how is this being clean um so there was the whole give us give us back our plates um, yeah. trend. So, what's the most irritating trend that you're starting to see? Mentioning no names, obviously, we don't want to get ourselves in trouble. But... Uh, do you
1: know what? Right? If anyone serves me anything in a pipette, I'm going to throw it back at them. <laughs> Similarly, I don't want soil on my plate. I don't want soil. I, I don't want to eat times. I don't,
0: times, don't
1: care you know, if it's <laughs> chocolate soil. I don't want soil. You know, soil belongs in the garden, not on a plate. Don't want it served in a tiny wheelbarrow. It's going to make me want to eat it even less. So, yeah. And, and it, do you know what? It's starting to make a tiny comeback. And it was a big thing back in the mash days because next to mash was Mongolian barbecue
2: yes, if you'll remember yeah.
1: where you kind of you do the graft I never liked that you, you could get your own food and you can put it on the hot plate and the chef was like no do you know what here's an idea like, you cook my food then like, you bring it to me and I'll eat it because I'm going to pay for it <laughs> any restaurant that involves you making any effort I'm against that yeah, I unless, it's, it. unless it's a
2: kid making their own pizza
1: to keep them quiet for even, that, <laughs> even that even yeah. that just, I, just, I, I, I object strongly to having to do any work in a restaurant I want to sit there and I want it to be brought it's the me.
0: restaurant equivalent of a conservation holiday isn't I it? don't want to be I'm involved I'm going to pay you 400 quid to sit in your canal clearing it out yeah. covered in muck for three days <laughs> I don't why I am to, I doing that I don't <laughs> want to
1: be involved in the graft I do enough work through the week and I've got three
2: children when I come to a restaurant <laughs> I just can you do can you do all of it please yeah it's that I think so i have got loads of things that annoy me, I think it's part of um getting older and'm getting more cantankerous um but i I've been going to London a lot recently, and my most recent eating experience I ate in Vadis in Soho and it's a really classical restaurant with really good food in a really comfortable room with big comfy chairs, and it had three courses that you picked from and you got your starter first and then they brought a main course, and then finally you had a dessert. And this was pretty revolutionary because I actually realized that I, re- I rarely I eat that, that sort rare, of food. But you plates. know what? There's a reason that model has existed for hundreds right. and hundreds of years because it's a really nice place to eat, a really nice way to eat. And I do love small plates. I do, but I've had too many experiences recently where I've gone for, like, a business lunch. So someone I don't know that well, someone you're not going to be dipping into each other's food, and we order six things, and their three things turn up before I've had anything. And it gets increasingly awkward and ends up with a very long, slightly socially inept lunch. It's a really disturbing well, it's experience. Invasive.
1: It's invasive. If you're with a group of people, it's quite invasive, because it is quite labour-intensive, it? yeah it's constant
2: Small plates, let's you know, not be shy about it. It helps the operator. It helps margins. It helps the kitchen. If it's done right, it's a fine and wonderful thing. Mm. If it's done lazily or with no thought, then it's actually really bad for the customer, and it's driving me up the wall. And the other thing that I've had happen in a wide variety of places recently is um, cool open kitchens with no extraction. So you smell of the food for the next couple of days, no matter how many times you shower.
0: Which is fine in a fish and chip
2: place, but it's possible... <laughs> I quite like the smell of fish and chips the next day when you pull your jacket on or whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up, you know, if you go for lunch and then you have, like, an event out that night with work or whatever, and you know that you smell... A fat from whatever cool (laughs) trendy barbecue place you've been sat in that lunchtime. Overly
1: toasted naan breads, or
2: overly toasted naan breads. I'm just sick of it. You know, guys, if you're going to have an open kitchen, so we all see the theatre, fair enough. I'm in with that. But just pay the money, get the extraction put in, so we don't smell of it, please.
1: Can I also throw into that schooners? This was a thing. I don't want two thirds of a pint. I want a full pint, or half a pint. don't, don't, Don't disguise your six quid pint. By serving it as a four-pound schooner. I know it's still a six-quid pint. I don't want... It's just schooner. There's a, there's a place in the Quarter that does it. There's a few, actually. One of them does it, but it does it with Peroni. Like I kind of get it on Craft Ale, where you're on a short barrel stock, and you might... Or if you're pr- drinking 15%. You, yeah, and you yeah, might... You might even worse if it's out of the box. Why are you putting Peroni in a schooner? <laughs> that, that is purely to get more money out of us, the, the paying punter. I don't like it.
0: And I've got two things also at the end of a meal. One is... Um, the move away from having chocolate or sweet things as a dessert <laughs> to the decision that cheese, the cheese dish and the dessert all have to be on one plate. So you get a sort of what? cheesy, very very bizarre. Wow. Seem to be having that in the old days. Well three, four years ago, you, wherever you went, you'd get a sort of journey by chocolate thing as mm-hmm. one of your final dishes. It's like, no, that's how you should finish a meal a at that point. Not some strange savoury thing
2: that no. then comes comes back. And... It's, it's gastronomic punctuation. We all Absolutely. expect a we know sweet yes. thing at the end of the and meal. It's a full stop.
0: And then after that, You want a nice cup of coffee. Yes, you do. Now, there's this restaurant (laughs) that I went to recently where we had the most amazing meal, and it was beautiful. And all I wanted at the end of it was a creamy, strong cup of coffee. Ten minutes later, after a ceremony involving a lecture about where the coffee beans came from, water being poured in, water being poured out, I got what was effectively a test tube half full of (sighs) coffee-tasting water. Uh,
1: Provenance is
0: fine. All I wanted to do at the end of it. So... I'm going to end this with huge kudos to McDonald's because McDonald's <laughs> of all the fast food chains serve the best coffee they are very simple how they name their coffee and their advertising campaign around coffee is absolutely amazing so I'm going to end with that there you go because we've talked about gastronomic full stop. Yeah, everything
1: comes back to McDonald's <laughs> McDonald's
0: at the end of the day yeah. so thanks to all our guests to our lovely friends at Blueprint Studios in sunny Salford for hosting and recording us if you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future you can talk to us on Twitter at Cottonmouth MCR We should soon be available on all good podcast services. Until next time.